The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that the armadillo is a sex move so vile it's banned in 49 states? What? What? No. What, what is what? it? Well, what is it? So what you do is... <laughs> the elbow. Oh my god. That's disgusting. <laughs> Wait, why would you do that? Oh, I don't know. That should be banned in 51 states. <laughs> <laughs> when we when we bring it to Puerto Rico and yeah, it's our next the, date the they're going to you guys got to stop doing this <laughs> oh god for more armadillo facts and find out how you can access episodes day early and to check out our other podcasts visit us at armadillo.club Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread, where we're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I'm Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Mike Sparkman. And today we're covering chapters 14 through 18 of The Gathering Storm, book 12 of The Wheel of Time. Previously, Perrin's in a big old funk having crushed all his enemies, so he decides to join up with Rand to find some bigger enemies. Rand rolls up on Rodel Itraldi with his big old dragon D and just Tavarin's all over his face. <laughs> Rand's like, you're mine now. Get up to the Borderlands and he slaps him on the ass. <laughs> Avienda fights a nightmarish liquid fire sent by the Dark One himself, but still can't figure out why the Wise Ones won't be nice to her. Egwene ups her game in the White Tower, gaining support among the sisters, and even has a very successful meeting with the Black Aja Hunters. I have a feeling this arc is going to be tying off very soon. Speaking of, Gawain finally decides he's had enough of the White Tower's shit when he learns of Egwene's capture. Let's hope this leads to some satisfying turn in his character, because right now, I kind of hate this dude. Mm, yeah. I kind of always hated Gawain. I, I, I mean, in the beginning, he was okay, but... No, he was the cool one. Galad was the douchebag. No, you're right, you're right. Gawain was okay, Galad was terrible, and now Galad is okay. I have, like, the best white cloak, and Gawain's the worst everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know if he's the character I... I I dislike the most because you know Elida, but and Fael. But no, I mean he's he's like really low. You know, I think I might like him less than Fael. You know, now that Fael killed uh, the prophet. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, good riddance. Hopefully, chapter fourteen. A box opens. Icon of Cad Swain. So Cad Swain is consulting with Sorley about Simirhaj. Yeah, another familiar face who's joined Rand's camp. Uh, I kind of can't think of a better reassurance uh, that Sorley sucks than the fact that Cad Swain uh, really likes her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. If, so if you had Sorley, Cad Swain, and Samaraj in a room together, marry, fuck, kill, who would it be? Uh, oh, shit. Uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, you, you pro- I mean, logically, you probably want to kill Simirhaj because she'll torture you forever. Well, I mean, I mean, not if you're on the team. and Sorley might too in their oh, own ways. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I think marry Cad Swain, fuck Simraj, kill Sorley. Um, marry Cad Swain, really? I mean, like if if you're if she's on your side, she's like she's really she's she's very capable, right? Okay, okay, marry Simraj, uh-huh. fuck Sorley, kill Cad Swain. <laughs> I, I know yeah. how you feel about Cad Sorley. Sorley can do it, right? Like she's been around. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Can but she's probably fit too. I bet she is. She's yeah. well fit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the other kind of fit where she can like lick her own butthole or something. <laughs> what? But you know, flexible. <laughs> I yield. They're flexible. I assume. 
<laughs> I suppose so. Well, it's well known. <laughs> it Seven Garage has all that knowledge of the of the past and stuff. Yeah, that's like, true. It'd be like fun to hang out with. Yeah, I, well, if she doesn't torture you forever. Didn't Simiraj do that thing where she made someone orgasm like super forever. hard with magic? Until he died, remember? Right. He chewed his own tongue off. Yeah, he was coming so hard that he, or he right. yeah, chewed his own tongue off. Yeah. That's why I said fuck, so, sorry, fuck <laughs> Simiraj because I think everyone should try that at least once. <laughs> Get your affairs in order first. You yeah. could just be a dried husk, literally. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you gotta pick a way to go, right? Yeah, death by snoo snoo. Oh, God. I hate Swarley so much. Mm-hmm. I really do. She's so obnoxious. So I guess I would marry Cat Swain because she'd be interesting. Fuck Samiraj, you know, for the crazy mental things mm-hmm. and then kill Sorley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Though, though it is a tough call. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a real one. A real okay. Yeah. So it's a four-cornered room and Hitler's <laughs> in the fourth corner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. Let's keep going. All right. Say, fuck Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And shoot Cat Swain twice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Well, yeah, the the one thing I will say for Sorley is if anyone, like, if she's the only person I think of in this world is, like, hard enough to possibly break Simiraj, you know? Like, she's, she's like a wall, you know? I guess so. I think that to me, that's why Cat Swain responds to her because she's probably the only person Cat Swain can't push around. Yeah. Mm. Well, Cat Swain is using sleep deprivation on Simirhaj, mm-hmm. which seems like it might be bending Rand's directive just a little bit, right? Like, if they start waterboarding Simirhaj, I'm going to be like, okay, hold on now. I mean, it's not torture, guys. This feels like relevant to, I, I would say, current events, except this was 20 years ago. Yeah. But, you know, there's all this debate is sleep deprivation really torture? I mean, we do it to these guys because they'll do anything to make us stop, but is it really torture? She's going to be waterboarding her next. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Geneva Convention talks about that. No, is it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is this is torture. This is totally torture. Yeah, it is, and every like five minutes she makes a noise or something. Yeah, yeah so, so certainly can't, can't. Yeah, sounds awful. Yeah, screams her a little screamer in her ear and flashes lights in her eyes so she can't sleep. Mm-hmm. But so far it isn't working. That's the thing. Simiraj again, master of torture. Yep. She's like whatever. Fuck off. And Simiraj is still really good at threats. Yep. Yeah, she is, isn't she? She even she even uh, can tailor her threats to certain people. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like talking about killing a blacksmith. Right, yeah, that's... that's. Yeah, yeah. she did her research. Yeah, yeah. according <laughs> to the IEL, that's like incredibly offensive. Yeah, make 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 them kill and eat a blacksmith, I believe is what she mm-hmm. said. Because, you know, she's, yeah. she's in the cannibalism thing. Right. Yeah. How far do you think I would have to push before one of you would kill a blacksmith and dine on his flesh? <laughs> but then Sorley actually lands a remark on Semirhaj. She mentions that she seems disappointingly human. Mm-hmm. And that gets more reaction out of Simirhaj than they've gotten so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think it's interesting that Sorley's like, dude, you should definitely kill this person. And like, I think Jeff, you're you're that's where you are, right? Like, definitely oh, yeah, kill yeah. Yeah. She seems just colossally dangerous to the entire world, right? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm on the fence. I, like, I I get where Cat Swain's coming from because they have these you know these receptacles of ancient knowledge in the form of the Forsaken. Uh, so I don't know. I I kind of get where get why you might not. But. Yeah. But then Cat Swain takes Sora Lee to show her her collection of dangerous artifacts that she's collected slash stolen from Rand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has the remote control. She has that black male Adam. And mm-hmm. she also has Kalendor, apparently. Not with her, but yeah, she but knows she what Kalendor is. This is terrible. Yeah. She has so much control here. And Cat Swain is completely not trustworthy. 
Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that she talks about the fact that Rain won't let her test the Adam, and she mentions that the first thing she did when she got her hands on a the female Adam, or the regular Adam, whatever, is she puts it on. Yeah, she tried yeah. it on herself. Yeah. Yeah, which, that's pretty brave. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, and honestly, a little relatable, because I'm the guy who will tase himself to find out what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> what Aja is she? Green. Really? Okay, I couldn't okay. remember. Pink. Because that seems like a super brown thing to do. Oh yeah, it's true. Test the Adam. I think you're right. I think I think she is. Green. Yeah, but I don't. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, it is. Uh, I I mean honestly, I think I think Cad Swain would happily chain Rand. You put put her in a put him in an Adam. She's she's this massive ego who thinks that she has to control him in order to save the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I think I think this chapter kind of disproves that a little bit because we see things from Cat Swain's perspective and what she's thinking about and what she's talking about and it what she believes and like what her intentions are and it seems that what she's doing has like a, a purpose that's not necessarily like breaking or controlling Rand but but arming him for what she sees as the final battle and because she talks about things like helping him control his temper she's like I'm not I'm not trying to like break his spirit like you know she doesn't say this but it's implied that she's not trying to break his spirit or make him like obey her. She's trying to teach him to like not uh, lash out and react to stressful situations. And she talks about the fact that she, the hardening that she sees in him, uh, she's not like responding to that because she doesn't want him to be a tyrant. She's responding. She's working on that because she's afraid of what that means for the final battle if he hates humanity. You know, like it's, it seems like her intentions are are positive or, from her perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what she thinks, but, like, in her mind, she still thinks of him as the Althor boy. She's so contemptuous of him. Mm. And I feel like what she has done hasn't actually helped him chill out at all. She's made it worse, right? I think you're right, yeah. You know? Well, some of it. I, I, think she, I think he is getting better at controlling his temper. You know, there are the moments when she says something, he, like, takes a deep breath, and he doesn't, like, flip his shit anymore. But, yeah, I mean, I, he doesn't mm. seem like he's... He seems like he's getting harder, not softer. Yeah. Yeah, she actually thinks about this, that you know, nothing I'm doing is working on this guy. And that, and I was like, you think? You just <laughs> keep shitting on him, you know? Yeah. How, who would this work on? I guess it does work on everybody around her, right? She's got all these cowed Aes Sedai. It's true. So anyway, uh, Sorley and Katzwain sit down to plot their next move uh, against Rand or for Rand or however you want to see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever they're... Because they have that, that weird pact from... Two books ago? I yeah. I remember, yeah. So chapter 15, A Place to Begin, Icon of the Dragon. Uh, Rand wakes in a devil dream. Yeah. Hey, remember those? It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. New yet familiar. Uh, yeah. He finds a storm cloud of streaming faces. Like, this is very, like, classic yeah. Rand evil dream stuff, right? Yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> classic, yeah. Yeah. So in this particular Randrim, he dream he has a chat with Balsamon Ishmael Morden, whatever. Yeah, you know, whichever, whatever. whatever he is today. Yeah. The day of the week. Yeah. Which, for, by the way, for anyone else would be kind of like nightmare fuel, but for Rand, it's just like yeah. mid-tier horror compared to some of the stuff he's dreamed about, right? Yeah, it's right? actually kind of nostalgic, right? This, yeah. is, this reminds me of when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, like, flesh melting, no screaming uh, corpse babies. I mean, this yeah. is boring, right? Yeah, they just sit down and have a nice chat. Yeah. Um, where Moradin lets slip that he is Ishmael, um, which I forgot. Rand doesn't know the Forsaken come back from death. Well, so this is a surprise to him. Well, yeah, and, and Moradin's like, oh, no, it's... No, no, no. He can bring us back unless you use Balefire. And Rand's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Good to know. Just takes notes. notes. 
And right. I, I like the bit where Rand's like, that's impossible. I watched you die. And and Morden's like, well, I watched, I watched you, you die. die <laughs> <laughs> what about it? <laughs> Look, we've been down this road before, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this, Rand's this like, is, always bail fire. Got it. You're right. This place is actually pretty chill for Rand because Luz Theron is more integrated and he's not having any troubles. I thought that was interesting. I wonder, why do you think that might be? The the fact that, yeah, Luz Theron, it's not that he's gone. It's just because he saw his Luz Theron's memories. It's just like they, they mesh better here. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe this is, it's kind of the world of dreamsy. Maybe it's a, a place of the mind where like Rand's body isn't there affecting him and or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and they have a very nice chat. Morden seems really tired. Yeah. Which, if he wasn't, like, a 3,000-year-old murder wizard, I'd feel bad for him. <laughs> he, you know, he, he keeps, he keeps like, subtly implying something that I don't quite understand. Uh, there's, he seems to be implying that there's some connection between Rand Theron and himself. And, and like, maybe a, a literal connection in their, their well-being. Because he says something along the lines of... Uh, what does he say? Something about what... Like, I feel so tired. Is that you or is it me? I could throttle Semiraj for what she did. Implying yeah. that the damage to Rand harmed him, too. Yeah, I think he feels it. Yeah. So they're connected. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine why, because they're not, they're clearly not, you know, yeah. the same person. And but. I think that's why they're even having this dream together, is because of their, whatever weird bond they've got. So it's a Harry Potter Voldemort situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what are the dates? Did this come out after? <laughs> Before or after Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, they have a, a theological discussion. Yeah. Which Moradin actually has kind of a point, right? Like, exactly. I was Dark like, Lord is going to break the wheel and destroy all of creation. He only has to win once. You have to win every time. Yeah, like Moradin's logic is, I mean, he's not wrong, right? Like this, yeah. this infinite cycle. And... But then Rand is like, yeah, well, I'll just kill the Dark One. Morden's like, oh, you have no idea how stupid that is. <laughs> okay, kid, sure. Drive safe. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna kill the dark one. Okay. It's like a dumb jock. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm gonna make a you know candy bar out of magic. I don't know. Well, actually, you probably could make a candy bar out of magic. I'm sure that's a thing he could do. Yeah. yeah. Luz Theron knows how to do that. That's true. Okay, but the, what Rand said is ridiculous. And then, uh, so Rand is there, and he, he finally the dream is done, and we cut back to Min. Who's hanging out in Rand's bedroom and studying. Doing some actual useful shit, by the way. Like, compared to all these other people jacking around. Absolutely, yeah. Doing research. Doing the homework. Yeah. She's trying to learn the secret that uh, Heron Fell got shredded by the Squishy Man for, right? Yeah. And I think she did figure it out. And she does, for a moment, think about how strange it is that she's been caught up on this, this whole, like, saving the world slash love triangle situation that she's in. Which is a strange thing. Yeah, it's true. Oh, I... Okay. Sorry, I wanted to. I meant to look something up. Sure. Because um, they she they talk about her reading a book called it's it's by Palatios. It's called Ponderings, and I was wondering if that was something related to Plato. It, that's, I was actually I, I actually looked it up, and I don't think so. But like I had the exact same thought. Oh, did it you sounds really? like a a work of Plato, yeah. or or like a a twist on a work of Plato. But it does I don't sound think like that so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it but it I mean it, that could very well be a reference to that kind of thing. Anyway. So then after Rand wakes up, she finally gets him to level with her uh, about what's going on with him, uh, about Luz Theron and all that stuff. She takes it pretty well, honestly, right? Like, yeah, she's already in his head, right? Yeah. I <laughs> mean, I guess nothing's going to really surprise her at this point. And also, you know, Min's a bro, you know? Yeah, Min is a bro. Yeah. And <laughs> like a bro you could fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. then, <laughs> 
Then she tells him her theory, which she's pieced together, that he has to break the seals on the Dark One's prison in order to reforge his prison mm-hmm. or to defeat him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's like kind of okay with that too, right? He's like, eh, all right, you know. She, she expected him to be weird about it, but, you know. Yeah. He did just get finished telling her that, you know, he has this voice in his head. And he's totally sane, but the voice in his head is crazier than a bag of rabid weasels. And sometimes he lets him use the one power just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, also Ishmael is alive. And she's like, that's interesting. You want to hear what I've been reading? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, also Ishmael told me to use way more Balefire. <laughs> so I'm going to start doing that now. And I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Either way, they're both like, yeah, it's fine. We'll figure out. It's, it's all fine. Yeah. Looks like he has to die, though. That's what it seems to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah a viewing of three women before a pyre. That yep. does seem to be Rand's death, right? Yep. All these all these omens seem to say that Rand's going to die. But he's the main character. He's got, he can't die, right? Well, not in this book, probably. Yeah, probably not in this one. We got two more. Yeah. So, then we cut to Avienda, who's doing some more pointless punishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another, he has, she has another one of these wise one interviews. It, they always feel like interviews to me. And this one's with Amos. Amos? Amos, yeah. Yeah. But each one of these has been with a different wise one. So it's like, it feels like this is by design, right? Yeah. And it it does feel that way. And Amos, they they chat about the Shan-Chan and what they're going to do about that. And and they meet with a a party that is returning that uh, is announcing that the Shan-Chan are going to meet with Rand, the daughter of the nine moons and all that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this one goes a little better because Rand is running short on time and short on hands. Yeah, and one of the one of the maidens is basically like, "Well, let's kill all the Shan Shan." And and Amis is like, "What do you think about that, Avienda?" And Avienda is like, "No, no, no, let's fight with them to win the last battle and then kill them all." And Amis is like, mm, "Yes," but then uh, after this enlightening chat, more punishments for Avienda for being so stupid. Yeah, Amis uh, actually gives her a clue, right? And it seems that it kind of bothers Avi that she that she does that. But basically, she says it's it's not something you did; it's something you didn't do. Which yeah. makes me wonder if it's if it's my my previous guess, which is some sort of thing where like she's she didn't get knocked up. She betrayed her duty. Oh, maybe maybe she's yeah maybe she didn't get knocked up. Maybe she hasn't married Rand yet to like tie him to the Aiel. Because mm-hmm. like that. that it, but that, then she's in like a catch twenty two situation because she doesn't want to marry Rand until she's a wise one. Yeah. Well, there's a whole thing with like, fuck your honor, do what you do what you maybe oh, right? Yeah, like, right? Could be. Yeah. I don't know. Ah, I don't know. Either way, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of trying to guess. Yeah. This is dumb. Yeah, it is dumb. Uh, either way, yeah, she she answers the questions well. It seems like the wise ones like her answers to the questions, but still more punishment. Yeah. So who knows? Chapter sixteen in the White Tower, like under the Tarvalon flame. So Egwene starts out serving some white Aja sitters who have asked her to come and crack some nuts for them. <laughs> yeah. um, and then they ask her, theoretically, so how would you handle Rand, your boyhood companion? You know, if like just theoretically speaking, if you were someone who grew up in the same village as Rand and you were actually the real Amarlin Sea, yeah. <laughs> how would you deal with that? Yeah, I, I love it because they first start out by asking, you know, how should Oblida have handled this? Okay, sorry, that's not what we want to know. How would you have handled this if you were... Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so it feels like a test, right? <laughs> Let's assume that you are you and that he is Randolph for your childhood friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's, let's... let's just hypothetically assume that you're exactly who you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and, and so Egwene just like casually lays out her yeah. knowledge and experience with Rand. Oh, you forgot. Oh, do you remember? I traveled with him for a while to the Aiel Waste. I was there for that. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and she gives the most direct pitch yet, uh, including running down the state of her recruitment of all the other Ajahs. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I've got the browns. I think I've got the yellows. The blues are obviously in the bag. Greens, having difficulty with them. Reds, never. And with you guys and the grays are on my side, we'll be good. Yeah, she's so good at this. Like, they, yeah. they, they eat it right up, right? Yeah, and the, the whites are actually into it. They're like, oh, yeah, what you say makes sense, so how can we help? And anyway, sets them to, ta- to uh, making friends with the other Ajas to heal the divisions. Mm-hmm. She And she she also manages to kind of like put a little nudge in there about Elida's failures, right? Like yeah. she, she always manages to turn the conversation in that direction. These chapters of her just going around to the tower to different Ajas and different Aes Sedai have been some of my favorite chapters ever. She's yeah. so good. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Egwene's chapters right now are my favorite ones to read. Yeah, they're really nuanced. It's interesting to see how she approaches all the different Aes Sedai. It's great. Yeah, yep. this is one of those ones where if you had asked me in book one who my favorite character would be by book, what are we on, 12? And, and, I, and I said Egwene, I would have been like, because <laughs> book one Egwene versus book now Egwene uh, very different characters yep. and she's great but then as she leaves them uh, Elida has changed her punishment she's going to do chores all day and never talk to anybody yeah that's a problem yeah I don't think Elida is clever enough to realize what Egwene has been up to but she's accidentally made what is actually which is it kind of a, a clever play to neutralize yeah. Egwene I mean if she knew what Egwene was doing she could just throw her in a dungeon or something right yeah true but so this is a big problem. Uh, and Egwene spends a few hours scrubbing out the kitchen fireplace when the, the chef, Laras... We remember her. Yeah, yeah. Offers to sneak her out of the city and it shows her the special hidey hole she has built into the floor of the storeroom yeah. for the purpose of human smuggling. If she yeah. got cut, she would be killed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even Laras, mistress of the kitchen, knows that what's going on is bullshit. Like, she does, she's like, I don't want to be part of this. She, she doesn't care if she's being punished, she doesn't, but she's like, this is designed to break your spirit, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, which I didn't even think about that, but of course, right? They, they, use these, they use these chores and all the servants to, like, punish the members of the, the channeling members of the White Tower. And, uh, but if you do that, like, willy-nilly, the servants don't like being torturers, right? They, they like being educators, basically. So do you think that uh, Laris has been smuggling novices out of the tower? She's so good at this. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you just be in here, and then in a few hours I'll give you to my people. They'll get you across the, the, the river. She's done this before. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. It's, it's got to be novices who want to get out, right? Yeah, so, I mean, do they pay her or something? I doubt it. I think this, I think this is where the circle comes from, right? Mm, yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, this, this is interesting because I'm not – I wonder, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. But Egwene declines because the struggle goes on. <laughs> yep. She's like, nope, I'm not done here. Right. And then uh, she learns that Elida will have her serve her for dinner again. Because uh, just when you think Elida has made the worst decision anyone could make, she makes a worse one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's during that that Egwene starts thinking to herself that she's going to start trying to convert the Reds. And, you know, i got to say, as stretch goals go, that's a pretty big one. Right? Yeah, that's what else is left on the table for her to gobble up. Yeah. She's going to have to do it sooner or later, I guess, but that seems like a, a, a tough one. But then it, when Egwene gets there to the dinner, Elida has a bunch of the sitters from all the other Ajas, and apparently the purpose of this is to show Egwene off as a trophy. Yeah, this is a weird... Uh, uh, if it were not Elida, I'd say this doesn't make any sense. But Elida, this is an Elida thing, right? It is. This is how she thinks, yeah. It is, yeah. 
and, and she's still discounting the Shanshan. Right. Yeah. Still ignoring the Shanshan, the, the prophecy. And she thinks that if she can just humiliate the people she doesn't like, then that then everybody else will fall in line somehow. She's yeah. a very binary thinker. Yeah, this is a very, this is like an arrogance parade that Elida is throwing for herself. And like the, uh, when I was reading a, reading this part, I was like, she's a lost cause. Like everyone, this she thinks this is this is an event that's going to increase her esteem, power, whatever. But this yeah. makes her look so weak, right? Yeah. Especially when she decides to debate Egwene in front of everybody oh, else. Such a terrible idea. Yeah, she <laughs> like I wrote, Elida always knows how to turn a shit into a shitstorm. And like this is exactly what she does, right? <laughs> it's a bad situation, and she just like turns it against herself so fast. Right. And she keeps doubling down, even when she's like obviously losing this debate. Yeah. Because Egwene, being Egwene, lays out this kind of very clear argument, like with uh, you know, a thesis dedicated to each of the other people at the table, like, oh, this is going to appeal to the browns this is going to appeal to the yellows this is going to appeal to the whites she like yeah she's quoting like an ancient brown omerlin she's like quoting the carathians was it carathian carathian cycle thank you the carathian 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 like like you're watching a lot of cariah Indeed. Yeah, the, she quotes the Cariathon cycle. Uh, she calls she calls like Elida's bluffs and like pushes it. Like this is this is like peak Egwene, and Elida has doesn't stand a chance. Oh, oh she yeah. looks so foolish. Like she's at, she's like out of her depth here, right? Yeah, and she even like insults Elida. Like she has this line where like you've screwed everything up, and I'd even name you a Darfriend if I thought the Darfriend would have anything to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically like the Darkman would be embarrassed to hire you. you know? Yeah. And uh, Elida flips her lid and starts uh, beating Egwene with well, the power. And Egwene flips it on her and says, what do you intend to do with Randolph for? <laughs> like, she starts asking her. Oh, like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. the dynamic She's is got nothing, shifts. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elida even goes to the, what is it, the uh, no, no, I'm not, you are defense. She's like, I'm not a dark friend, you're a dark friend. I'm not a puppet, you're a puppet, whatever. You know, it's like, oh, wow, okay. It's yeah. so bad. And so it just makes her look like an idiot because, of course, bringing up the thing with Randall Thor is exactly the thing that Elida has screwed up so incredibly much. Yep. But then Elida is losing her mind and, like, attacking Egwene with the power, which, how is that not using the power as a weapon? It is using the power as a weapon. I, I guess, but like... I thought they just couldn't do that. Well, they use... They, right? They, are, they use it to... They, they use it this way a lot, right? They use it as a switch or a spanking, so that must be not a weapon somehow. In their minds. Yeah. Somehow that they, they've got a loophole in the oath where they're allowed to beat people up with the with the one power as long as it's yeah. the punishment, not a an attack or yeah, whatever. These oaths are lame. Yeah, well she's beating her and she beats her like she slams her against the wall and she like knocks her down into some pottery shards and slashes up her hands and then she starts whipping her. Yeah, and sitters are like, dude, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, first of all, Egwene, it turns out, is in a situation where she's really equipped to deal with beatings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the events of like every book that we've read. Yeah, she's been she's been practicing this every day for the last month or something. Right? Yeah. And she just stares her down. Like and, and Elida just devolves. I was just like breaks down completely, right? Yeah. Just like, screaming at her and losing her mind. And Egwene does this amazing, like, well, uh, why don't you just kill me? <laughs> and Elida's yeah. like, no. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. The, the thing that I found most surprising is that nobody stepped in because it felt like, to me, the sitters. Right. Like, yeah. You got to stop this right now. She's going to kill her. Yeah. So she's out of her mind. Yep. 
but uh, they don't, and I don't know why exactly, except maybe well, Egwene like way. passes out from blood loss, so we don't know what happened after that. That's true. Yeah, Egwene just goes unconscious. Uh, but the last thing she remembers, or the last thing she hears, is a lot of saying, "You're going to spend the rest of your life in a dungeon, basically, right. until I kill you." <laughs> that's the, that's what she says, right? Elida's yeah. is like, "You'll die when I'm done with you, but you're you know going to be in the dungeon." Yes. So uh, this was awesome. Yeah. No one. I would say no one here thought Elida won that fight. Yeah, she was losing when it started, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And it's amazing how unself-aware Elida is about this. That, like, you know, beating up the novice in front of the people you're trying to impress is not a good look. She thinks that it's all about strength and power, and she thinks that she appears powerful, but she's she doesn't. She's, you know. Yep. I don't know how much longer she's going to last. Yep. Yeah, I, I didn't say this earlier, but Egwene is on her third Aja offer. Like she, she oh, yeah. we, we saw her get an offer from the brown, and then apparently she got an offer from the yellows, yes. and in this chapter she got an offer from the white Aja. So I mean, yeah. that's pretty wild. Right? She should collect them all, right? I know, right? <laughs> I, the only ones who are, who are giving her any trouble are the greens. She's already signed for. So I mean, it's true. Yeah, maybe they just are giving her trouble because they don't want to seem too. Uh, what's the word? Eager, uh, thirsty. <laughs> no, uh, like uh, favorite. They're not showing any favoritism. Oh, uh, yeah, it could be. Anyway, chapter seventeen: questions of control, icon of the blacksmith's puzzle. So Catswain is eavesdropping as Sarin Sedai questions Semirhaj, and she's reflecting um, how much on herself and how much work she puts into her own reputation, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting because uh, I didn't realize she was that studied about her image yeah she she but what is it she says she's like leaves and then comes back in a specific for specific circumstances and for specific purposes she lets them think she's dead yeah because it's part of her image and i this makes a lot of sense because i don't know if you guys realize this but i think cat's wing sucks oh wait really wait wait, no no, wait really (laughs) yeah Uh, and i've been wondering why someone with such a reputation can can not live up to it in my opinion and the answer is because she's all reputation, right? She's, she is really old, right? She's a, a formidable in her way, but she also cares a lot about the reputation. It's true. Which leads her to kind of come to a conclusion, yeah, right? Yeah, and she, she realizes that that's where Simir House is at. Like, her reputation is what really matters. That's why none of this stuff is working. Mm-hmm. So, that, so now she has a strategy. Just plain old humiliation. Right, yes. So she decides to go in and... Banker, hello Robert Jordan, <laughs> in front of all the, the staff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the only way to break Simraj, the forsaken torture, is a spanking in front of ev- where everyone gets to watch her get spanked. Everyone's watching while she's yeah. getting spanking. And then she makes her eat beans off the ground <laughs> by spanking her. Yeah. It was an interesting juxtaposition to the previous chapter, though. Yes, it, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is like a... This is controlled. Like, Catswain is not losing her mind. This mm-hmm. is a controlled uh, punishment, humiliation. If Elida had done this sort of thing to Egwene, it probably would have worked. Right? If she just said, well, you got a mouth on you, now I'm going to spank you. And, and make her look, like, make her be spanked and look like a child in front of everybody. That is a good point. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. You don't think so? I mean, Egwene's been spanked a whole lot. It hasn't seemed to change. Well, that's a little different, right? Like, this isn't just spanking her. This is like... Like babifying her, essentially, right? Like yes. making her humiliating her. Yeah. I think at, whenever Egwene doesn't lose her cool, she's always going to come out on top, and she hasn't been losing her cool. 
So that's yeah. true. Egwene like, was pretty worried about being made to curtsy or being made to lose face in front of all of these sitters and lose right. all the progress. It's true. So I definitely think there's a way Elida could have played that in a way to, to make Egwene look bad. Yes. Yeah. But she certainly didn't. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to say this again. This feels like a violation of Rand's directive. Like, yeah, she's uh, spanking her and like put you know putting her face in the. I mean, that's I don't know. That this feels a bit like that seems like torture. I guess Catswain feels okay with it. Yeah, because uh, she's she's not doing it for the pain. She's doing it for the psychological effect. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Side thought: I felt really, really sorry for the maids who had to like come in, who who are in charge of like bringing food to Semirage. Nobody <laughs> yeah. signed up for that. That's terrible. <laughs> right? Well, like this, this, it's this probably, it's dark probably. god, right? Who yeah. who's known for torturing people and is like noting every face in the room. That's who you want me to bring to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go go take her plate of food, not the good food. Take her the crappy food. <laughs> <laughs> and Semirage is probably like. Ah, uh, yes, a bean roast. I will stuff you with beans and I will roast you for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, these, uh, these serving people don't, uh, don't have the one power to, <laughs> to, to use. I it. actually, like, this whole scene, if they'd called me in to watch this, I would have felt pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, you, uh, you servant, come in here and watch me spank this person until she cries. Like, oh, I don't want to be I part of really this. really want to. Yeah. Do I have to? But it works, right? Samir Haj cries and, and does what she's told. And so it's it's breaking down her image, her image to the world that really hurts her. Yeah. And a side note, Katswain has this breakthrough because she's thinking about how much, how alike she is with Samir Haj and how alike their goals are. And I was like, you're so close, Katswain. You're so close to figure it out. <laughs> I know. All right. It was interesting how it changed my perception of Samir Haj too, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, she's just a person. I didn't... I didn't. I wouldn't have thought this would work because I'm like you. I, I thought she's actually like this three thousand year old murder goddess mm-hmm. who doesn't have emotions like other people do. Yeah, she's just a person. Yeah, yeah and that, I think at one point Cat Swain said, "Like I've probably been alive longer. I've spent more time alive than her." That's what I was thinking about too. Yeah, they're all. They think of her as this eternal thing, but her subjective experience is not. Well, it's pretty long compared to most people, but not necessarily Cass Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not Sorley. Yeah, because she's, she's been in the, the seal with the Dark One for thousands of years. She hasn't been living, right? Like she's just, yeah. So we don't know. I don't know. I think we know what her actual age is, but probably not more than a couple hundred years, right? Yeah. So then we get to Perrin, who is dealing with leadership and fighting the urge to go fight the last battle right now like a wolf. And he still hasn't solved his problem, which is what to do with 100,000 refugees. Yeah, he's like, well, why don't they go home? And his guys are like, they don't want to go home. They like you. <laughs> Damn it. I'm so cool. I they want to follow you home, man. <laughs> yeah. I like that there's this fun, this, 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 this conversation with, um, he's trying to, he has this idea. It's like, okay, I'm just going to use the portals, right? Like everyone uses portals to get around. You use the portals to send them back home. And Grady and Balwer do some like napkin math. They're like, a hundred thousand people, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, two at a time, that's going to take days of nothing but doing that, right? Yeah, okay, 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 Perrin. Let's say you had to shoe a horse. <laughs> now let's say you had to shoe 250,000 horses. <laughs> that's how many horseshoes as there are people that you have to deal with right now. <laughs> that's right. Put it in language you can understand. Yeah, it, like if any of you have ever tried to leave a parking lot after any like major event, I think you understand what they're getting at here. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Perrin gets back to the old standby. He walks through his camp and thinks about stuff. Um, and he decides that he, he's been running away from himself for too long and he needs to go wolf dreaming. 
Yeah, he's like, I've been a jerk to my murder wizards, my loyal subjects, my dream wolf buddy Leaper. I've just yeah. been a jerk to everyone. I don't know if he has actually, like, worked out his pent-up issues with Fael yet, if you it know what I mean. It doesn't feel like it has, no. I think I think we'd know about it. I think he'd be thinking about it, honestly. He's yeah. not, uh, he doesn't hide those kinds of things from himself, but yeah. I, I, I'm just hoping this is... The, the book's way of saying goodbye, shitty emo parent, you know. You know, you know. it just occurred to me. Does he have some kind of PTSD? Probably, right? Because Well, just the, the whole series Everything. of traumatic experience, right? Having his wife kidnapped, having to, uh, you know, be... Having to figure out and, and plan this whole battle and, and have to deal with his, how much he likes killing people. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I think that there's certainly some kind of trauma response happening here, yeah. Mm-hmm. So chapter 18, a message in haste. Icon of a fish. (laughs) (laughs) Who could this be? (laughs) I like it. I'm starting to really like swans watching her fish stuff. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, Swan is heading into the Aes Sedai camp when she sees a big hall meeting with everybody in camp watching. Something's happening. Um, She thinks in passing that Gareth Bryan has been trying to teach her how to hold a sword. And it occurred to me that, you know how she always speaks in fish metaphors? <laughs> Maybe he always speaks in, like, fighting metaphors. Uh, and he wasn't actually going to teach her sword play. <laughs> you know? Hey, I don't want to teach you how to handle a sword, if you know what I mean. Like, why would I fight? I'm a, I'm a nice to die, my friend. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, we don't know if she's ever had a male relationship before. Uh, right? I think she mentions that she's had a couple of, like... Things, but never, never a real relationship. I think mm. she mentioned something With like me? that. She doesn't say for sure. Yeah, yeah good question. Mm-hmm. But so, so if that's where Brian is going, then he needs to. That's why she likes him. His name is Brian. Oh, it's oh a, my god! It's another, it's another ocean thing. Oh shit. my god! Whoa, We've shit. unlocked it, guys. <laughs> what? Gareth is a kind of fish. Brian is well, Brian. <laughs> The Gareth fish. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> if he wants to get through to her, he's going to have to use some kind of fishing metaphor. Yeah, yeah. for like, sure. You want to you stuff my roasted grunter or something? <laughs> whoa, whoa, Would it be the other way around? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something like that. Uh, but the news that has caused such an uproar is that Elida has traveling. Yeah. Which, Ooh. I mean... SpaghettiOs. Yeah, it, it, I feel like this is only a matter of time. It's still... I mean, it's definitely bad news, but this is one of those things where there was no way they were going to be able to keep that a secret, right? Yeah. Um, it was a nice advantage to have, though. Absolutely. They, they also note that uh, Shuriam is looking as if she's improved mysteriously. Almost as if something in the camp has changed and suddenly she's feeling better. Right, Like, yeah. maybe just a Some, slight reduction of the... that was affecting her. The, maybe just, like, a slight reduction in the... Forsaken level of the camp. I don't know. Right, yeah, you, one forsaken in the camp, Sherim's in trouble. No forsaken in the camp, she's great. <laughs> Weird. Eh, yeah. Probably fine. Yeah, the Swan thinks to send a message to Gareth Bryan because they could be surrounded any moment now because they're in, in the era of mobilized cavalry, basically. Yeah, I thought this was kind of funny. It was just like nobody else thinks to warn the general of their fucking army that suddenly soldiers could appear anywhere, right? Right. Except for Swan. And so. Then, uh, as Swan's dispersing the crowd of novices around the meeting, Sharina shows up and clues Swan in that the reason this happens way is because Lelaine is making a power play. Lelaine let the news slip out and is trying to panic everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's trying to drum up a crisis, basically, right? Right. I do not trust Sharina. I, I think she's really? Masana. Really? I, I thought Masana was in the tower. They can teleport around, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I, I actually like Sharina. I, I, I'm, I'm on Team Sharina right now. She's just sketch city to me, you know? Like, why is she so competent? If she's like a grandmother who lived on a farm forever, even if she had a big family, why is she competent in organizing a thousand people? She's the she was the the matriarch. She she probably you know managed events. And like, she she also has a feel for these extremely subtle, well, relatively subtle political currents. She also knows that Swan Sanche is the person that's that's in Egwene's camp. Like that's that's not something everybody knows, right? To me, this is just another one of those uh, what is it homespun wisdom beats. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Other people. Like this, she's just old, wise, and observant. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other characters who've been like that because I feel like we run into that sometimes. A lot of the kids. like the wisdom of the of the common folks, you know. Yeah, yeah. you know that that could be it, I guess. Especially yeah. older women. Yeah, I didn't find her suspicious. Yeah. I liked her, but yeah, she comes in clutch for Swan. She gives her the rundown on Lilane's power play. And uh, Swan is like, "Why are you doing this?" And Shireen is like, "Well, because." Egwene is our patron, basically. Egwene got us all into this as as old novices, and so we want her in power. So I'm I'm doing that. I'm manipulating the situation to keep her in power. Yeah, I mean, it makes makes perfect sense to me, right? Yeah, I, it, it's her capability to do that that really surprises me. No, I mean I I, I agree. She, her she is unbelievably uh, powerful and smart and and wise and whatever, but that doesn't necessarily set up a red flag in in this in this in these works right like to me yeah. she's not masana because she she takes swan's washing and does it for her and there's no way a forsaken would debase themselves like that that's a good point yeah yeah so uh, anything else yeah I, I uh this is another one of those times when i found myself like peeking at the next chapter to see who it was going to be you know I'm, I'm not reading it i'm not reading ahead spoiler it's not a gwen but uh <laughs> but uh yeah I, i'm i'm really I'm really feeling these. This, if we weren't doing the podcast, I'd be like reading ahead, you know? Yeah, it's happening. I, yeah. I really like the short chapters that Sanderson is doing. I agree. Because like it makes it fun to read. It moves it a clip. The chapters, are they don't wander. So it's good. All right. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Okay. Well, we had one question from a fan, Fritjof, who is writing in all the way from Oslo, which is super cool. Mm. So he wanted to know our thoughts on the infamous plot armor. Uh, do we think anybody is going to die? Who do you think is going to die? Who do you think should die? He thinks that part of A Song and Ice Fire's success lay in the surprisingly novel lack of plot armor for key characters. I, 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 I have noted this before. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, and and it, it's changed somewhat. He has actually killed people since. But in the early books, I would say the first half of the series, no one dies, right? Like, even people who you were pretty sure were dead. Well, yeah, like, Moraine died, but it turned out she was just portal goo, and she is still alive. Yeah, remember Tom Marilyn? We thought Tom had died, yeah. And he survived. I think the first, like, notable character that died was, what's his name, the Borderlander, who was a dark friend, right? And it was like a redemption. Ingtar. Ingtar, that's right, yeah. And it was a whole redemption thing. He's the first one I remember actually being a, 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 you know, somewhat central character dying. I mean, shit, even Ishmael is didn't die. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I kind of feel two ways about the plot armor, which of course 100% exists in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, it sort of drains the narrative from a little bit of its drama because, you know, I like we're pretty sure that that Semirhaj is not going to win that magic fight with Rand. You know, we got two more books, right? Yeah. He's not going to die here. But on the other hand, these books are fun in a way, like they're, they're, it's it's like a serialized TV show kind of. Like I like to I like to get back to my characters and see what they're up to now, 
And so I don't necessarily always want to worry that someone's going to die. I, I, I think I'm in the same... I'm, I'm of agreement. I, I think that it lowers the stakes, knowing that a character is never like, very unlikely to die. Um, but... So, so in a way, the Song of Ice Fire, the example they use, this is a good one. Uh, the fact that anyone is fair game in those books means that you never know what's going to happen, right? Like, oh. you never know, you never truly know the outcome. But well, I would it's also, say that... Oh, sorry. Well, no. have you read Song of Ice and Fire? Uh, most of them. I haven't finished it. So, some characters do totally 100% have plot armor in those books. Jon Snow, totally plot armored. Yeah. Daenerys Targaryen, 100% plot armored, at least until the end of the book, when everybody's plot armor expires, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I would say that it... It kind of in the same vein as what Jeff said. It can be a little, uh, I don't want to say soul crushing, but kind of soul crushing when a character that you really love dies. You know, uh, I, I, I definitely have gotten. I remember points when I, someone, a character died, and I was like, I was sad about it. I was de- like depressed about it. You know, uh, as if someone I, I cared about had died. You know, once you're really invested in a character, it can feel that way. It can be mourning. I'm trying to think where that happens. I'm trying to think of examples because I know I've had that. Ex- as a reader, there have been times when people have died and you've been really bummed about them, but I'm trying to think who. Yeah, uh, well, um, I mean, in Song of Ice and Fire, the Red Wedding was was impactful to me because there were characters that I liked that, that all all ate it in that scene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, spoilers if you haven't read the series. <laughs> they ate the cake. Yeah. The, the red velvet cake. Yeah, that's why it's called the Red Wedding. Red, red Wedding, because everyone ate red cake. Uh, but in, in this book, I don't know, uh, having the characters die kind of more realistically or periodically throughout the narrative, I don't think it would really work because it's got this kind of epic tone. These characters are larger than life, right? They're like comic book characters. Yeah. They're, they're demigods almost in this kind of high fantasy world. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that plot armor is built into the wheel, this idea that these people have to be used. Yeah. They have their place to be. You can't just rip them out. You know, they're part of the pattern. <laughs> That's a good point. You could almost say it's not plot armor, it's pattern armor, right? <laughs> like like yeah. the wheels spun them out. Uh, these, you know, these aren't the heroes of legend that they've read about because these are the ones that have been spun out, right? So yeah. Aaron, Matt, Rand, they're all, you know, so heroes I, of legend. I guess in the final analysis, I would say that the, the dial is turned all the way towards plot armor and I maybe think it should be turned down a little bit more, a few notches. Maybe we should have some more side characters that are at threat of dying. Yeah, there should be some culling, I think, of the like B and C list characters. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I when I think of like the range of adultness of fiction, that's one of the things that I consider. Like you think of like the Harry Potter series or, or any YA fiction, it's like, okay, the stakes are generally low and everything works out. And you think of like a song of ice and fire where nothing works out and everyone's everyone's dying all the time, and then this is this to me this is like somewhere in the middle, but maybe more towards the young young adult YA fiction. And I think early on in his works, Robert Jordan did attempt to write in such a way that it wasn't too adult, wasn't wasn't something that you couldn't give to a I don't know I don't want to say like a kid, but like maybe someone a, a, a young teen or something like that. He wanted to make it so it was like a, it was safe for them, right? I disagree. I think it was bloodier earlier on. Really? I'm yeah, sorry. you remember like there was them. They would go through like um, I don't remember who it was. I guess it was Rand maybe or some of the men, and they would go through villages that the Shanchan had been through, and they had like t- 
move people's skins. Oh, or that wasn't like the Shanshi. That was the, 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 the Trollocs. It was the Trollocs? Yeah. Yeah. So that, but that, like going, I remember vividly them riding through these wastelands where entire villages had been massacred in really disgusting ways and he described it very graphically. I, I oh, remember him not describing it graphically. Actually, I, I remember. There was, there was like a guy nailed to a door and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, like there, there, there are a couple of situations where it was implied, but I remember the first time that we did hear about something horrible like that it was really it was really noteworthy because they hadn't done that at all before then but i don't know maybe i'm just maybe my my memory is is uh painted you know i don't know gilded i feel like it's glossed over more now yeah yeah maybe um anyway but i'm glad we discussed that but that wasn't actually fritjof's question which was do you think anybody's gonna die who do you think is gonna die who do you think should die Oh, that's a good question. Well, okay, so if we wrote down all the prophecies, we could probably, like, it would be an outline of the plots of the book for the rest of the books, uh-huh. right? Yeah, I mean, like, Rand seems like a high on the list of people who are going to die, right? Yeah. I don't see how Rand can survive. In fact, I might be kind of disgusted if he does survive, because I don't think he should. I, I, I have no information about this, but I have a feeling that it's going to be one of those things where everyone says he's supposed to die, and there's, like, some loophole in the prophecy where part of him dies but he's still alive or he dies and then comes back you know something like that so i kind of think Rand isn't gonna die um that's just like a a guess i think his physical body has been so destroyed that there's no way he can survive yeah probably but like what if he's reborn in the in the moment by the one power he gets a new body or I something i mean maybe yeah. yeah i don't know mm-hmm. as far as who i want to die i mean they, they're they're doing a really good job checking off that list. I gotta say, uh, we they got uh, they got a bunch of the Shido. They got um, they yeah, got Messi. High Lord Suroff. They got Masima. Elida's like high on my list of hopefully uh, <laughs> yeah something you know uh, you know I'd, I'd love if Elida died, but I have a feeling that she's gonna get sold into slavery because that seems like the way things are going <laughs> lately. For, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, I totally think Rand is going to die, right? Because yeah. we've been getting prophecies since like book one, probably that he's got to die. Yeah, his blood has to spilled on the rocks of Shadowlodon. Although you know that I think that it, it's going to be some weird thing where he's connected to the Dark One, like he he is the Dark One, or he has to go into the Dark One's prison to he's like. He's a Horcrux. Yeah, <laughs> he's the last Horcrux. Yeah, right, or something like that. Um, I think Perrin and Matt are going to survive. Mm-hmm. I think Nynaeve and Lan are going to survive, and she's going to have like a hundred land babies. Yeah, they're, they've got to repop- repopulate. Borderlands, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I think I think basically all the old characters that I mean, there are old people are going to die, like all the generals and stuff. Mm. You think Gareth Bryan's going to die? Yeah, I think he's going to die. You think Kat Swain's going to die? I think she's going to die. Yeah. Yes. I think Gareth Bryan is definitely going to die because it's going to be this tragic romance that was not. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I was hoping, I was hoping yeah. Swan and Gareth would would be able to like you know have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff. Yeah. I think Egwene has to live because she has to rebuild the tower. I don't know. I kind of think Perrin might die. Yeah? Yeah, he's become so dark. I think he's going to be a casualty. Mm, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. It's possible. And, like, does Emmonsfield really need a lord? No. They might be better served by a martyr, right? Also, also, I mean, I think that Emmonsfield is going to be absorbed by Andor again. I mean, I know it's technically part of the, the... Queendom, but administratively, but, right? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think Perrin's going to make it. I think it's going to be, oh, he used to be so like pure of heart, and then he's just gotten more and more like hardened. I don't think he's going to make it. I think Elaine's going to survive. Yeah, she has to. She's got a job to do. Yeah, what? 
be queen. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say raising the dragon's babies or whatever. Well, I, like, I oh. have wondered about that. Remember, because there's Min- Min's prophecy that Avienda is going to raise, have four children, but they're two of them aren't going to be her own or like they're not going to be her own or oh, something. Oh, then they could be, oh, well, maybe they're Elaine's babies. Yeah, Elaine's that was always die. my thought. So yeah. maybe Elaine dies and Avienda raises her kids. Yeah. Could uh, be a possibility. they're like magic Aiel yeah. sisters now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think Egwene dies. Why? She's got to be. She's got to be the Armalans. Because I think that there's nothing left for her to do after she solves all the world's problems with her genius. You know. You think she's too good? Yeah, she's. I mean, this whole thing. She's been very self-sacrificing this whole time. Like, I have to get beaten for the tower. The tower is greater than me. Like, that's that's her whole her whole thing is sacrificing herself. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Or mm-hmm. sort of sacrificing herself for her own power, whatever. To me, to me, she's been talking about sacrificing herself so much that it would be too obvious. But maybe there's, yeah, I don't know. Like she's, she. It's the kind of thing where like I will sacrifice for my, myself for power, which means they're not actually going to have to do that, right? The mm-hmm. fact they would is enough. But I, I don't know. I could see it like Rand. Like once the job is done, the final, the final job, they're not really needed anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they die, I guess. But I still, I still think she's. I hope she's still going to be around. Yeah. She's got stuff to do. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone else that we think? What was and, so- uh, and probably Maureen. I think Maureen and Tom probably both die. Oh, you think so? Again. Together, tragically or something? While holding hands? Oh, yeah. Back to back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Him throwing knives or throwing fireballs. Right. Works, right? Yeah. I think Maureen probably has to die. And then Lan will be truly free because I know that he wasn't her warder anymore, but still. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure he still feels responsibility to her if if she's still alive. He doesn't. He doesn't know she's still alive. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't know. Yeah, because he's off. You know, being a beautiful <laughs> golden crane, lost in the <laughs> lost in the wilderness. That's right. Naive. So that's it for this episode. Next time we're going to cover chapters 19 through 23 of the Gathering Storm. I am Jeff Lake. That's Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That is Blue Bonnet Cafe on Instagram. I'm Michael Sparkman. I still don't have one of those. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at armadillo.club. We love hearing from you. And please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this, especially iTunes. Please give us your dollars at Patreon, which you can find at armadillo.club. Please like us in real life. We're just so likable. Until next time, the the light light illumines you. you.